What's up, guys? Welcome back to Faded Truth. Before you do anything, hit that subscribe button. Today, I got a Las Vegas superstar in the building. Ooh. Crypto god, podcast host, entrepreneur, Mr. Jake Gallen, everybody. Ooh, thank you for having me on here. <laughs> Crypto god. I'm glad you led with that first. Usually, everyone talks with the podcast thing. I feel like panties are going to get thrown at you Ooh. when people hear that. Crypto Dude, God. Yeah, Crypto God. We call it Moon, moon Cat King or Cat Dad is my NFT alias too. Cat Dad? Cat Dad, yeah. I've, uh, I'm a pretty big holder in one of the oldest NFT collections, Jeez. which might sound like gibberish to you, but yeah, it, to, the other, to the it. other nerds out there, it, uh, it means a lot. Okay. <laughs> All I'm thinking is the cat daddy. <laughs> cat daddy, dude. Yeah. I'm a cat father. No cats in real life, but, a hundred, but hundreds in the digital world. <laughs> okay. So you're born and raised in Vegas, right? And first of all, I want to say... Um, you're not like new, like we already know each other. So uh, you guys have seen me on his show, The Guest List Pod. Um, you saw or you heard him on Cannabis Talk when it was up and running. And so I wanted to bring you back on because now that's a and closed chapter of my life. And I wanted to bring you on the main platform. Um, YouTuber, podcaster, doing it all the same. We started around the same time. So it's awesome to see our growth, you know, like together. Isn't that funny to see? Because the, the amount of people that I've talked with, about 150, there's... Probably a good majority of them started around the same time that we did. I think it has to do with COVID. Yeah. Everyone just realized, fuck hospitality industry. Um, I'm trying to build build a new life outside of that. And out here in Vegas, we're on the ground floor of culture. We're on the ground floor of entrepreneurship. So you can have a, a lasting impact on whatever industry you decide to dive into. Right. We're at the mecca of dreams. We are much in the yeah. US, you know, and everyone, the whole world is beginning to wake up that Vegas is not just a retirement destination, but an actual place where you can live and build a legacy. And we see that with the amount of houses being bought up here. Fuck. <laughs> fuck, the, fuck the house market right now. I know I had to sign a, I had to sign another year lease in my apartment in the arts district because there's literally nothing available unless I want to pay. 30 or 50,000 above the the sale price and come in cash and so we're we're going to hold it off for a little bit at least. Well, cheers. Cheers to that. All right. So cheers G6 over there. The plug. Um so you born and raised in Vegas. So were you like skipping school, going to circus circus with everyone else? Like what was Yeah, we're we're uni we're unicorns out here in Vegas. Only about twenty five percent of people who live within Las Vegas were actually born out here, which is just a crazy stat to me. I bring it up all the time. People probably hate it. Twenty five percent yeah. of people in Vegas are on, are from Vegas. That's yeah, it. So less than five hundred thousand. Wow. Really. It's it's really insane. Why do you uh, think that is? You think people get like like tired of the life and then wanna leave it? Kind yeah, I, I've had a lot of friends growing up that leave and then ultimately come back after failing at whatever city they try to try to make it in. You can't and go from Vegas to like a normal city. The like, mo it's impossible. Mo yeah, most people end up going to either New York or down to Florida or obviously L.A. And then 90 percent right. of that end up coming back and realize that Vegas just has so much convenience and accessibility to anything that you want that. They're it. like, I, I don't do know why that I did it. I but gr growing up, I was I was kind of a nerd, honestly. I didn't really ditch that. <laughs> I didn't really, I didn't ever ditch that much. I played football and ran track in high school, so I always had to come back anyways. Um, but we did right up to the strip when we were younger. That's when you find out that after nine o'clock, if you're under eighteen, the cops kick you off the strip. And uh, we'd ride ride down to the mall. I did a bunch of like outdoor stuff growing up out here. But growing up in Vegas, it. 
it makes you it familiarizes yourself with sexuality and with gambling and this different lifestyle so i think the mentality out here of a vegas native is much different than those of uh, a transplant out here and the majority of vegas natives are have are very hospitality driven we're, mm-hmm. we're kind of caretakers people are constantly hitting us up to stay at our place asking us what's the move tonight what's the restaurant to go to do you have the hook up for hotel rooms. So that's kind of uh, embedded into our, our DNA. I hate when people now like hit me up. They're like, Hey, I'm in Vegas. I'm like, great. Like the fuck are you hitting me up for? Like, so g- give I, me a few days, give me a few days warning and then I, I can help you out. I never to you back in Jersey. Why are you hitting me up? Like, Hey, let's, you want to meet up? No, not at all. You're like, the Vegas plug. You're I'm the not Vegas your tour plug. guide. <laughs> <laughs> I remember my girls came here and it was like July the first year. Hot as fuck. These bitches wanted to walk the strip. So I'm out there miserable they're like, they have no sense of direction. We, we have no destination. That's my thing. Do like, you have a Long Island in your hand? I, I didn't have a Long Island. I had Or we, one of the long sugar drinks? At, no, we stopped at, uh, what's that right there next to the link? Is it Chickies or there's like something right there? So we got like drinks there. But at that point, like we got to Carlos's bakery and I'm like, you guys need to get your shit and we need to go. Like Vegas locals never hang out on the strip unless we're going to the club. And, right. and if we're going to the club, it's because we have a comp table. We're so spoiled out here. Yeah. The majority of locals end up hanging out downtown or one of the satellite casinos like Red Rock or the M. Mm-hmm. More local like, spots. And now that I don't work on the strip, I have no reason to go unless it is a free table. That's you know. The only times I've been down to the strip is either going to somebody's hotel room or to, to the club. It's like there's no point of going to a bar when you can go downtown and get it for half the price and probably have a lot more fun. So what age do you get into the service industry? I did the traditional local path, which is become a lifeguard at 18 years old. Um, most people, you could That's start- a local path to yeah. be a lifeguard? Yeah. Oh, because of the pools. Because of the okay. pools. but And so you could start at 16. And so mm-hmm. the majority of people start working at a pool when they're in high school. I started right after high school. But w- while you work on the strip, the easiest way, or all, all of the casinos in Vegas tend to, to h- promote within even if you are a lifeguard. So I know busters and servers that work at EBC or White Republic that were lifeguards at first, and then they got promoted because they're familiar with you because that's what it comes down to in the hospitality industry. It's who you know, and it's it's all about the relationship that you've built. So if they see your face around a lot and they see you're working hard, then they'll promote you to wherever. When I worked at Planet Hollywood, the president at the time started out as a line cook. It took him 15 years to become president. Jesus. So that's just like a traditional Vegas path. So I started out as a lifeguard at Planet Hollywood. And then after two years, I was promoted to a supervisor. And then I became a cabana host. And then that's when I moved over to Omnia Nightclub when I opened up. Applied, went through auditions. You have to do the whole shirtless modeling thing. Right. And stand in a room on an X all awkwardly. <laughs> I was just talking to Johnny about the auditions on... Uh... Shaking it up with the They're sharks. traumatizing. It's traumatizing. Yeah. I feel bad for for the women because that's it's definitely it could be a confidence builder or a confidence breaker. And I see girls who have gone through dozens of auditions and never get it, and they just seem very defeated by it. It's I mean, tough. it's definitely like a body dysmorphia thing too. Like it you have is. all these like ex fitness models or current fitness, so they mm-hmm. feel like they need to be, you know. And then you got like people coming in that are normal that have no idea. Like they're just coming in and like you know they have zero chance, but they're going to sit there for six hours anyway. Mm-hmm. And but, when and when you're and when you're going to auditions, Vegas, as we mentioned, is it's all about the relationships and the who you know. So maybe 50 to 75% of the people being hired 
the management team knows. Mm -hmm. So you have to very just slide in based off of your looks for the most part, or Hi. or. <laughs> Or, or recommendation. When I applied to Omnia, they said there was 5,000 servers and 2,000 bussers that applied. Wow. And they only hired 70 of each. I didn't know anybody. I had no referrals or anything. So I was one of like five to 10 bussers who just like happened to squeak nice. in. Maybe it's because I was young and I was a cabana host before. I was from UNLV. So maybe that gave them a little bit more of a need. I don't know how the fuck. I mean... I came with confidence, so I think that's why. But I was waiting. It, it was literally like six, seven hours before I got up there. It was the last interview of the day. And it was at Dre's, and that's when I ended up. Like, and I just came from Jersey, like, not even a month before that. So I was just, like, coming in knowing nothing. And I'm like, fuck, you know? And then I got it. I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> and the, the, the industry kind of, like, runs Vegas. I noticed this when um, I would work out at a lot of the gyms and this was very similar to UNLV when I was in college at UNLV I was in a fraternity I was an AEPI everyone in the gym would wear their fraternity or sorority letters right it's like kind of like a turf war kind of thing but now when you go to gyms you have a like, lot of the same shirt do you wash it a lot like well you just have AEPI <laughs> they're stitched letters yeah and then there, I had literally like 20 lettered shirts okay um <laughs> But then now when you go work out at like EOS or LVAC or any of these local gyms, you see everyone wearing their Omnia hat or their XS or their Dre's hat. It's like okay. a turf war all over again. So it's very, very similar in gotcha. that nature. But the industry, there's so much money that's made in these nightclubs. A lot of people are working three, four days a week and making six figures. It's like such an easy job that runs it. It's a very sought after job. When people would come up to me like, oh, you work at Omnia? I'd be like, yeah. And they'd be like, congratulations. You know, you're going to make it or you have made it. And to me, I'm just like, I don't know. I'm just carrying juice and ice. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> we're, I'm we're, making a shit ton of money for it. We're making, yeah, you're making a ton, a ton of money for it, but after five years, I had to leave after the pandemic. It's just like nobody ever talks about the, the insomnia that's attached to working at, in the nightclubs or the, the toxic nature of it and the money and how people change. And I just never really realized it, I think, because I grew up in a nightlife city. So growing up in a 24-hour casino town, I basically grew up in like a downtown Vegas, you know, and that's why I came here because I was like, okay, well, it's definitely the same thing but bigger and I can handle it, but I can see people that, are just Joe Schmo from fucking wherever and they come in and they just, you know what I mean? You just see them get shit-faced, they're mm -hmm. getting out in handicap in fucking wheelchairs <laughs> because they get so fucked up. And then like, somebody told me the other day, they were like, I'm proud of you because I thought you were gonna be stuck in that like degenerate AC bubble forever because I, I think you were going that way. And I was like, damn i was like i really was i guess but i was working 24 7 so i didn't think i was a degenerate because <laughs> i was like functioning yeah it's being indoctrinated by the industry they call it the industry girls or the industry guys where you build this like larger than life personality within the industry and the club nature but outside of it no one cares who you are so we're, we used to make jokes after the pandemic happened in our busser chat of like what server do you think is having the worst time right now after everything's <laughs> locked down because everyone's egos brought back to earth like, because you can't go anywhere else and when you're walking around and in the the grocery stores or at the mall or wherever it is no one knows who you are but in the industry all these girls get put on a, a pedestal because of because of their looks and obviously their sales there is multiple girls at omnia that were selling a million dollars worth of alcohol per year wow. so you think about the money that they're bringing into to that nightclub right. so they they have to put them up at a, on a pedestal mm -hmm. but after uh 
I started working at Omnia in 2015. That's when it opened and uh, definitely did every, the normal thing that every industry person does. You go really hard the first few years, spend all your money, just go out and party. I was traveling the country, going to music festivals, Ultra, Groove Cruise, Electric Forest in Michigan, all that stuff. But it wasn't until 2017 is when I really began my entrepreneurial journey. I came across Bitcoin um, in April. And from there on, I was taking like half of what I was making in the nightclub and buying Bitcoin for like two and a half years. I'd never had such strong conviction in something in my entire life. But also that same year, I opened up an antique store with my father and I was a co-founder on a ticket verification app called Chameleon Verify Network. So I was doing like three things at one time because I knew that working in the industry was just like not a sustainable lifestyle after the uh, year and a half that I had going out and partying and- uh, Okay, so I'm, I wanna know like what point in your life are you like, I gotta start making my exit, I gotta get out That's, of here. It was really 2017 was when I realized, 20, 2016, so I graduated college, then to 2015 with a kinesiology degree from UNLV, which is the study of human movement, so health science. Okay. But I realized like my junior year of, of college that I wasn't going to use it professionally. I was going to use it practically because there's just so many hurdles that you can do. And at the same time, while I was in college, I was working at Omnia making much more than I would with the 10 years of experience with my degree. Right. So and that's why people stay in it because it's like mm -hmm. you want to go get a degree and make 30 fucking 50 grand a year or you want to make 100 yeah. and work less days and have no debt. Exactly. If you yeah. <laughs> and so after experiencing the industry for about a year and a half and seeing like the dramatic impact it was having on my health, going out and, you know, just substance abuse, alcohol abuse, engaging in, you know, provocative behavior and stuff like that. Um, 2017, um, that's when a friend turned me on to an altcoin project and looked into Bitcoin. I had no financial literacy beforehand, but I was wow. like, this definitely makes a lot of sense like this this i think is the future and what i've learned in life is reading uh biographies from very wealthy and successful people is that uh, millionaires diversify their money but billionaires tend to concentrate and so i took literally probably 95 percent of my income and um have been in bitcoin and crypto ever ever since that day still wow. to this day once it once my bank account and dollars reaches a certain amount, it just goes right back into the system. Okay, so I want to talk about the big break. So mm -hmm. when you decide to quit Omnia, tell me how the, how this comes about. Tell me what you were <coughs> putting in and and yeah. what, how you felt like this was this was the time to yeah. So say, fuck you, fuck you. You're cool. <laughs> You're cool. Fuck you. It's so funny because when you leave the industry, everyone gives you like a, a sarcastic. Uh, congratulations of leaving the industry everyone texts you like congratulations you actually made it out because no one <laughs> right? ever does there was only two busters out of like the 60 of us that didn't return to omnia so they had a, like a 90 percent retention rate everyone even everyone always talks about leaving i can't tell you every single buster and server has probably talked about leaving at some point no one no one ever really does it are you smoking i forgot to ask um, not on this or I'll be very, I'll be, okay. I'll be useless. I don't want you to be useless. Maybe, maybe after though. Um, we, so the, the big break was during that 2017 year is when I had the idea for the podcast. I was a big fan and big consumer of Joe Rogan, Tim Ferriss, a lot of these, uh, solo podcast hosts and realizing the power that they had and the influence through conversation and the ability to pretty much say anything that you want on air like that 
Joe Rogan talking about DMT live on air like completely blew my mind in college. I was like, I had no idea you could do this kind of thing. Like, right. this is that's nuts. why I loved it because I was like, oh, you can yeah. talk shit and just like yeah. people watch you. And yeah, <laughs> you, you make no, money. No one's gonna censor you. Well, maybe YouTube will, but um, no uh, production company will censor you. So I thought about the idea in 2017, 2018, but I was already doing so many things, and I'd realized that Vegas is this growing city. Ever since I was growing up. People were comparing Vegas to become the next L.A. Literally, I'd been hearing this since I was working on the strip, since I was 18. Vegas is going to be the next L.A. Vegas is going to take over, blah, 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 blah. And so I was like, okay, I do believe in this ideology. There is no dominant podcast in Vegas. The only podcasts in Vegas that are popular are the people who are talking about the events of, that are happening on the strip. Casino sales, um, celebrities in town, I don't know, the the manager at their favorite restaurant getting fired. Like those kind of things were always being reported on, but nobody was talking about the entrepreneurs in, in Vegas. And so after the shutdown happened, after about two weeks into April, I was like, if I'm going to start a podcast, this is the best time to do it. So I had this like do or die moment sitting in my apartment and I was like, all right, I guess this is what I'm going to do because I, I realized very fast that this the shutdown was going to happen very fast. And I saw that society was taking this dramatic shift from this uh, physical and person-based culture to this digital economy. And then even more so the creator economy, right? Like what we do with podcasting and YouTubers and stuff like that. And I was a very big critic of YouTubers for a long time. I used to call it like the clown and pony show, like people just fishing for likes, fishing for views. And I don't know why I was... I think that's all social media. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I was very close-minded towards it, but now being in it for over a year and a half and seeing like the impact you can have, an actual impact not just for likes, but within a community and inspiring people to do what they want to do, um, it's very rewarding. It's, very, it's a very fulfilling feeling. So after two weeks, uh, my first two guests on the show were two nurses. Um, I had one of the nurses had the first COVID patient, so... Those two, those two episodes blew up very fast. And I was like, oh, this podcasting stuff's super easy. Okay, I'm getting 200 downloads in a few days off these episodes, all Vegas-based. And then there was just a dramatic fall-off immediately. And for the next, like, four months, it was, like, 10, 10 downloads, 20 downloads, 30 downloads. And I was like, dude, is this even worth it? Like, I don't know. But then I realized on the other side of that, having a podcast – it opens up access to pretty much anybody in the world. You DM a lot of these influencers or even come across like a high net worth individual in person. And if you don't have some sort of clout to your name or some sort of agenda that can benefit them, then they're only going to give you, you know, a few seconds of their time. But if you say you have a podcast and they're like, here's three hours of my time. And also, do you want to talk with my other successful friend as well? And then potentially a business deal can stem from it. So I, I do believe that we are, this decade is going to see the rise of the audio influencers. Last decade, it was coming into fruition. Podcasting really took off maybe like 2017, 2018. But I think audio consumption is going to just dramatically increase over this decade. And by the end of the decade, this is my speculation that the majority of the population are going to consume more audio content than they do video content. So it's a good position to be in, but with Vegas and talking with entrepreneurs, it's always been a hospitality dominated city. But as we see with how crazy the housing market's going, 
entrepreneurs want to live here. About I've I've heard about thirty to fifty percent of the new home buyers are uh, tech employees that are working remote, coming from California and some of these other places like Texas. So if we have people who are still making the same amount of money, six figures, now they're not paying on state taxes, they're gonna wanna build something within the next few years. And so we get to grow this economy together and speak speak with different entrepreneurs. And that's kind of been the agenda now. I focus on networking, entrepreneurship, and, and crypto because that's like my big passion. Right, okay, so let's bring it back to, because we, let's bring it back to when you got out of the nightclub, mm-hmm. right? You were in crypto at mm-hmm. the time or were you in NFT? No, yeah. So NFTs came popular this year, 2021. I got into crypto in 2017. Okay. Uh, about April 2017 was my first purchase. Can we talk about the the journey there? The journey, yeah. Hitting that amount to want to leave. So April 2017, um, I got back from Coachella, extremely hungover from the entire weekend. My father Mm -hmm. hits me up and he's like, hey, one of my friends, because... Uh, my father and I had an antique store, so we'd get all kinds of weird people walking into the antique store. We met, we made friends with this gentleman who had one of the largest Woodstock collections in the world, like worth millions of dollars. His friend was creating this altcoin project, and he knew that I worked in the industry or something like that. So I went and sat down and had a meeting with him, and he started talking to me about this altcoin project. And I was just like, this makes sense. And then he started talking about Satoshi Nakamoto, which is the pseudonymous creator of Bitcoin. The person who created Bitcoin or people, nobody knows who it is, how many people it is. It's anonymous, completely anonymous. Wow. And so that really intrigued me. I was like, this person who's creating this financial product, no one knows, like, and then it's an independent currency. So I went home, researched his, his altcoin project, started researching Bitcoin, went down the crypto rabbit hole and this is actually like a common thing that happens is you just start researching as much as you can and then just goes deeper and deeper and deeper you find out uh the, how the financial system works the corruption between the financial um with the financial leaders and the politicians and the corroboration that happens and how everything is just not as it really appears and like that there's a lot of puppeteers um, playing the strings behind everything. And so within a week, I was like, without a doubt, this is the future. And so I took literally, I don't know, 75% of what was in my bank account at the time and bought Bitcoin. And then from that day, April 17, April 2017, I bought Bitcoin. It was 1800 Ethereum was $111 at the time. And then started buying, and this this this, this was my first investment ever. I never bought equities. Do you have, or is this like guy that. helping you? No, the guy that you were sitting with. No, like, is he no. Helping you with so this, I or? invested in his altcoin project, and then the rest of what I had, I bought Bitcoin and stuff like that, and took my bank account down to maybe a few hundred dollars, a few thousand dollars, and um, Oof. yeah. So so then ever since then, I just kept buying more and started learning more and more, and like about these altcoins and smart contracts and. Uh, NFTs weren't popular at the time, but yeah, Bitcoin and self-sovereignty and encryption and self So these are just stacking now for two years? Yeah. So I was, I was taking literally the majority of what I was making. I'd say half, sometimes more per month from April 2017 to maybe the end of 2019 is I was completely stacking because then they closed the strip and I had no income from there. But I knew I was like, this is going to take off like this. This 
if the numbers play out because crypto is purely mathematical based, if the numbers play out, it's going to be a million dollars per coin by the end of the decade, if not sooner. So it's like, I can just buy this and increase my income at an average. Bitcoin on average has increased 200% every year since its inception. Obviously there's swings, but if you take that, the average of that, it's about 200%. So it's like on average, I can make 200% with my money stored in Bitcoin, or I can make 0.02% with my money stored in a bank where I actually don't own the money itself. And so yeah. really, really opened my eyes to everything I, like that. I just, uh, I don't know who was saying it. So I think they said the UK, like they get 10% interest like monthly on their bank accounts or something. I don't know if that's true. I don't know. Somebody's saying it because they were like, you Americans don't get shit. Like, you yeah, know I mean? <laughs> that might, that, that might be true, but. But I made me think because I was like, really? Because you got tens of thousands of dollars sitting there and you just don't get shit. Like, yeah. It, it really opened my eyes that you can you need to make your money work for you at some point in time. The people who get real wealthy either have a lot of equity in a company or they take their, they take their, their wealth and they make yield off of it, investing in some sort of asset. Like residual income? Residual income, yeah, investments. Um, and we saw this happen with the pandemic where they printed more money. They've printed $6 trillion in the last year, which is about 40%, 30 to 40% of all dollars that have ever existed were printed in the last year. So that inflation's coming over the next decade. So you're, everyone's going to see their wealth decrease what by- What are they doing with all that money? Giving loans and- Corruption. They're paying out, they bailed, well, they bailed out all of these uh, publicly traded companies for mismanagement and stock buybacks, which they were just increasing their own um, investors' pockets and not actually using that money to create a better product themselves. The banks were over leveraged, financial institutions were over leveraged, a lot of these public trade companies were over leveraged. And so what happens when you print more money, right? So $6 trillion has been printed. They might, upon this recording, they might print another trillion for this infrastructure bill. So then that makes it seven. What happens when more money floods in a system? Assets increase and the dollar, the value of the dollar decreases. So who owns more, who owns assets? It's generally the top 50% own assets, right? Assets meaning equities, so stocks, uh, gold, precious metals, Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, Pokemon cards, trading cards, sports cards, anything like that. Uh, antiques, anything that holds value increases dramatically and then the dollar decreases. So the rich literally get richer and the poor get, get poor. <laughs> Uh oh, blunt down, blunt down, but yeah. So, I think the cherries on my ass. <laughs> so, it it made me realize that everything that the cryptocurrency ecosystem and the community had predicted when I got into crypto in 2017 actually popped up and came into fruition. So. Okay, so you bet on what did you what did you when well, you bet my sorry. big my big what bets you, so my big bets were Bitcoin Ethereum Dogecoin. Okay, I was that's buying what came through for you. I was buying yeah, I was buying so Ethereum Bitcoin I was buying in 2017, 2018, and then in 2019 I came across Dogecoin, and I was like meme coin. Okay, I understand internet culture. Crypto is very tuned into internet culture. Um, and they've kind of really established me marketing. A lot of these crypto companies, they're protocols, so they don't have a marketing team. So the best way to market is through memes. 
So I started buying Dogecoin throughout 2019, and I was like, if the internet ever figures out what this is, <coughs> then it's going to blow up very big. And that's exactly what happened in 2021. Yeah. I definitely sold a little bit too early and left a lot of money on the table, but I sold enough to where I didn't have to, where I wouldn't have to work and I could quit Omnia. And so Dogecoin really fueled um, me quitting because Bitcoin, my Bitcoin holdings is something I will probably never sell, to be honest. I'll probably hold it until it hits a million, five million, whatever it is. Um, because it's a, yeah, it's a little bit more of like a, a token to me being contrarian to the the public discourse. But then I took, yeah, I took a lot of my Dogecoin profits and moved it over to the NFT market and then bought into to Mooncats, which is an NFT project, which I'm very heavily invested in and become one of the uh, leading investors in that space. Is that why you're always at these meetings? Looking yeah. Fucking presidential? Yeah, well, the crazy thing that that's happened recently is from my podcast, um, the UNLV Office of Economic Development reached out to me, the woman who runs that, because she listened to my show, and she was like, "Yeah, you talk about crypto, you talk about technology, whatever. We should talk." And so we ended up sitting and talking for three hours about blockchain and about how cryptocurrency and blockchain can really become a hub within Las Vegas. We have the infrastructure right now. Miami is leading the is leading USA within cryptocurrency adoption. And so Vegas definitely is more recognizable, has better infrastructure. It's a better city to go to. Um, There's just a lot of um, institutional gating out here between the gaming commission and the political system and the casino models and everything like that. So my business partner, Chris, and I, we started a company called Native Research. And we're building out uh, crypto education. We're helping UNLV build out a blockchain program. Wow. And we've been holding meetups. We've had two meetups, which have had over 50 different attendees the last two. Between All people wanting to learn about cryptocurrency? Uh, I would say the probably 80 or 85% of the people who've attended are in the cryptocurrency system or ecosystem already, whether they're an established company like CoinCloud, who is the second largest Bitcoin ATM company in the world, to... Those who are interested within the gaming commission or the gaming institution or UNLV or those who just follow me through social media. So um, the podcast has really stemmed a, a cryptocurrency business with my partner, which is something that we always wanted to do because we never we always wanted to be in the crypto space as not just an investor and a user, but actually as like a builder. And so that's like the newest project that we've been working on. And it's really turned out well so far. Nice. Congrats. Thank you. That's awesome. I yeah. was like, oh, he up there fucking public speaking. <laughs> we're ta- we're public speaking. Yeah, it's the podcasting is probably going to be one of the best decisions that I ever made even in terms of even in terms of investing in in crypto like as a financial asset. Instead of a podcaster, I kind of like to look at myself as a social investor. When you have somebody on the podcast, I'm investing social capital into you, right? I'm basically saying, like, I believe in you so you could come on my show. And in return, you're giving me social equity. And then if that person who's sitting across from me happens to blow up in some way, they become successful or whatever the case is, they're going to come to me and remember that I believed in them big. And so they're going to give me some sort of reward at some point down the road, whether it's a guest referral or an investment opportunity, a long-lasting friendship, anything like that. And so... That's kind of how I view podcasting is I get to talk with all of the leading entrepreneurs out here in Las Vegas, invest in them. They tell me whatever their insight is and I get to learn from them. Right. But 
later down the road it's gonna it's gonna have some sort of like multiple of magnitudes that's far superior than any sort of financial return I could receive. So right now, if we got to invest in something, are you mm. going to recommend Ethereum or is that going to change like in the next few weeks? We don't know, right? Mm-hmm. I think like when this airs, it might not be the best. <laughs> the best. The, your best if you're when people ask me about crypto investing, there, there's a lot of different variables that come to play. Whether it's your, are you investing long term? Are you day trading? Um, what is your risk appetite? Do you understand fintech? Do you understand internet culture? But I tell people, if you're going to buy crypto, you're going to hold it for at least four years because at least up until this point, it's moved in four year cycles. So Bitcoin, Ethereum, your long term bets, they're the only two proven cryptocurrencies that have received the regulatory green light from the US which seems to be a big hurdle. Um, They have said that Ethereum and Bitcoin is good to go. Like they're commodities. Eventually they'll be currencies, but they're commodities now. They can pass the the I-test or the Howey test, which is the securities test that they place anything under. Everything else is very speculative, short to medium term play. So you kind of have to to figure out what you're investing in. So a lot of these people, they text me about, do I buy Shibu Inu? Do I buy... Come Rocket or whatever these like different <laughs> cryptocurrencies that Come Rocket. That's a real one. It's called Is Cummies. It? Yeah, Cummies. Yeah. People were texting me about it and I'm like, I'd never even heard of these. I don't know where you guys are freaking I finding like figuring these need... out. Yeah. It's crazy. I just like, want to give somebody money and be like, hey, can you put it in the right thing or put it can you do I've... it for me or whatever, you know, so I don't fuck it up. And like that way you can watch it if you need to pull it out or whatever you need to do. Mm. Everything has de- every cryptocurrency is depreciated against Bitcoin in the long term, except for up until recently, Dogecoin because of the massive run. And uh, so is that done now? Ethereum. Like you can't invest in it? Like no, you still gonna... can. It's at like 20 cents now. I think the upside is maybe a dollar, but that's 5x. You can in the long term, Bitcoin as it sits now. 40k at the time it's recording maybe 35 definitely going over a million dollars by the end of the decade so that's like a 20x from there maybe a little bit more than that because it has to do with scarcity and def- and a deflation deflationary supply system there will only ever be 21 million bitcoin so what happens when there's a finite amount of supply the value increases this is the same thing with like collectibles trading cards antiques i'm so mad that um i sold my video games because i had all the old video games i saw mario. which ones which ones mario went for oh like yeah the 1. nintendo ones yeah i had super nintendo nintendo uh gamecube atari like we had everything so i went i had them and i ended up taking them to the GameStop or whatever store the pawn shop that took them and they gave me like hundred dollars maybe for all this shit and, oh, I, and I go and no. buy a dog tag i went and bought a dog tag for my boyfriend at the time in high school and i'm like yo i could have been a millionaire yeah. if i saved these shits <laughs> i'm like you still got that dog tag now, gary v said it well nostalgia sells so anything that ends up hitting retro age of 25 years ends up becoming very valuable so what i see happening now is and of course, this is my own speculation. As the world becomes more digitized, uh. anything that <laughs> anything that has a anything that's physical now will have a premium in twenty five years. Literally anything, physical art, physical, 
physical commodities. I don't know anything, anything that's physical video games, stuff like that. Even CDs, CDs, VHSs will have a massive premium within 20 years. I have a DVD years. to watch. I'm like, and I actually yeah. have a DVD player that I was going to throw out because I'm like, why player, would I need this? DVD player will be very valuable within it. 10 years. So. I could have played it on my PS4 that night. <laughs> you got to you got, you got to hold on to your physical assets. RCA. RCA, all that all that stuff. Everything is going to be digitized. I can't believe you had an antique shop. That's awesome. It was I fun. love going in the shops and just like trying to find some like unique thing. And antique stores bring out weirdos. I'm not going to lie. I have to, yeah. The the most I would say the the most commonly requested items were salt and pepper shakers antique radios antique typewriters were probably like the top three for us but we'd get people coming in here asking for like i remember that barbie hairstyles or just like some sort of very niche sports collector's item rugs rugs were actually really popular too we had a bunch of mid-century furniture but realized it's kind of hard to move furniture so but if you have antique and, and anything antique Vegas sells immediately, dice, cards, ashtrays, uh, posters, flyers from the 90s and 80s, anything vintage Vegas sells very fast. Yeah, you got to show me the spots. I'll show you. I'll show you the spots. So we'll be those weird people that go in the antiques. Antique hunting's very thrilling. I have to say, we would we would go to like my father smoking shop. Yeah, he would go to like these um, storage unit sales, like you would see on Storage Wars, or he would go pick at liquidation estate or at liquidations of estates or yard sales, find items for five dollars, and then you flip it for a hundred or two hundred dollars, and you're like, dude, this is a twenty x return right now. Like you don't get that really even on. Yeah, financial right. investments even though it's a People small are amount patient man i used to watch that storage wars <laughs> mm-hmm. it's really like that too i mean obviously storage wars is a little bit more curated um i've heard they place R. items in my fucking stuff. storage unit that got taken Dang, <laughs> you got repo you guys have pictures of me <laughs> <laughs> you really got repoed on that yeah well you just lot. didn't pay you didn't pay the rent yeah, well, it was when my dad went to prison, so I mm. had to put, like, whatever we had in this little storage unit, and that shit was, like, 60 bucks a month, and I was broke as fuck, <laughs> and then he got deported, and it was just, like, I a wrap there. there was nothing there. valuable in there. My I father just, found like, fuck two- it, like, it's not worth it. Like, I could put this towards, like, food or, like, <laughs> rent. <laughs> this can get me 120 cups of noodles, so I'm trying to live. My father once found 2000 in cash in a storage unit. So you can find all kinds of weird stuff in there. I mean, yeah, my dad had some really old, nice like chess chess sets, like the carved ones and stuff. Chess is making a comeback now because of uh, Queen's Gambit TV show on, on oh, yeah, Netflix. Yeah, see, I didn't, I couldn't get into it. <laughs> really, that was like one of the few Netflix shows that I thought was really good. I'm generally not like a big Netflix streamer. I try not to be. I think it's. Kind I like of the voice. documentaries on there. There's a lot of good documentaries. Docs and stand-ups, those are like my two favorite things. I'm a big comedy fan. So uh, what do you think so far? Like, How many videos have you done? Episodes recorded to this point, 144. The only reason I know that is because I've edited all 144 of them. Nice. <laughs> okay, so. So we're doing two or three per week. I was doing three per week, but now since I've started doing other things with public speaking and crypto businesses and stuff like that, I've had to limit myself to two per week but i felt like two was 
very important to keep yourself relevant within space. Okay, so in the whole time now that you've done it, a little over a year, what do you think is like the hardest part that you you've learned about like the entertainment industry? Is there anything that's like annoying as fuck? Mm, yeah, there's definitely many stop. There's a there's a lot of big personalities that are larger than what it actually exists in the real world and what i mean by that is in their own head yeah people <laughs> messaging you thinking you know they have thirty thousand followers and they're verified they think because they have that they're they're big shit but i'm like dude i have people who have i've had on my show that have 500 followers and receive more downloads and you know social media it's very artificially inflated with with followers and okay but listen to groups this scenario, and stuff right? like that so um <laughs> with social media it becomes a little bit um more differentiated um i like i i try not to look at the numbers and get caught up in it although i'm oh, you're I, over I, 10k now jake hey, go ahead we celebrate made it, it. Go ahead. <laughs> you know why because as much as like we don't give a fuck about it you have to celebrate it because you're on a social media platform so mm -hmm. at the end of the day like you know what i mean that's how your bread well, that's where your bread and butter is going to go through it's all it's all going to be connected to it so yeah i i realized i was never a big instagram fan i've been a twitter guy literally since i was like a junior in high school but when I was talking with somebody on my show, they were telling me how seven out of ten people in in the entire world use social media, view Instagram as their home base in terms of social media platforms. Oh. So I was like, that has to be like my go to. Um, I think that that blind date show that I went on definitely mm -hmm. blew it up a little bit. Um, and I was getting Those some comments were funny. I was getting some, yeah, as the internet thinks I'm gay and I look like Adam Levine. Those are definitely like the top well, two comments. you com really do look like Adam that's, Levine. That's the top three comments. That. That's the top two <laughs> comments. Yeah. Until I saw the comment yeah. and I was like, oh shit. Yeah. I was getting the Adam Levine lookalike comments since I was 18 working at Plan Hollywood. People walk up hey. like, they'd be like, you know, and I'm like, Maroon 5. And they're like, you read my mind. I was like, yeah, I did. <laughs> I did. Adam Levine in the building. I take it. I take it as a, a, compliment. a compliment. Yeah, he's one of my Jewish brothers. So shout out to Adam Levine. You know, maybe he is actually my father to begin with. Who who really knows? Um, but that just just I've realized being a lookalike of somebody super popular brings followers within itself. Because I get the I get those DMs a lot. Related, like relatable to you. It feels relatable, yeah. One of my friends on TikTok, she started making, uh, she started making uh, Fiona Gallagher impressions because she looks like her, and her TikTok went from less than ten thousand to four hundred thousand in literally like three months. Wow, I it's love insane. Fiona. It's insane. Yeah, look, <laughs> she looks exactly like her. But the celebrity lookalikes is definitely. You should play more on that. It's a little bit more personal. <laughs> I I made a joke on Twitter and I was like, should I do an Adam Levine TikTok uh, comparison video mm -hmm. or comparison account? It would probably go viral. It probably would. Yeah, I just need more time, man. I wish I had two of me. This would make life a lot easier. I am getting exactly. interns though to edit everything, so that's gonna oh yeah. Help. I was gonna yeah. ask you. We gotta talk after about. I need them interns. Yeah, I think I'm at the point. I'm, where get, I'm, I'm like... getting UNLV intern, <laughs> and now be now putting yourself out there. And I'm sure you probably can relate this too. You get videographers that message you. You get independent curators, anything like this that people that want to help you. Obviously, you kind of have to sift through the fluff and realize who's legitimate or who's from India saying they're a podcast promoter and they're just going to get you 400,000 views or inflate the numbers or whatever it is because right. I get a ton of those on LinkedIn. Um, so it brings out opportunity, just putting yourself out there. 
right? Success, success is how, or purpose is how you view your journey, but success is how others view your journey. I've had people- Say that again? Purpose is how we view our journey, right? Like we're the only ones who know what our purpose is because we're the only ones who have seen our life through our own lenses 24 right. seven. Success is how other people interpret our journey. So I've had, pe- I had people consider me a podcast success 20 episodes in or 120 episodes in. But I have been on the same path my entire time. So you really never know who you're going to speak to louder. And that's kind of one of the main takeaways that I've learned from podcasting is that some people are really into it. Some people aren't. Some people will listen to an hour and a half of my podcast. Some people get their Jake fix through the one minute clip clips that I post. Everyone's lives are different and I've never lived through their lenses. So I don't know their purpose or interests or anything like that. But I do know that they support me at the end of the day because they tell me this, Hey, I watched the clip. I saw you're talking to this guy. And for most of my audience, they tell me they don't even have to listen to the episode that I, of the person I speak with. They just consider They consider them being on my show as me vetting them to be a credible person. And so that's what happens when people pop up. They're just like, oh, Angela's on the podcast. She must be somebody that I should look into or view her profile and see if I want to dive in deeper and see what she's doing. Because I trust Jake. Jake's talked to 150 people. Jake's a credible person in my eyes. So I'm going to look a little bit deeper into that. And so that kind of responsibility, it's different in my life. I've always been a responsible person. But being a gatekeeper of sense is something that I've, I'm trying to work towards because I don't like being a gatekeeper. I don't like telling people, no, you can't come on the show. No, you're not credible. No, you, you I don't want to listen to your SoundCloud rap for the fourth time because you have two songs up there. Like, that's not credible to me. But to some other people, it might be. So um, it's just it all comes with a learning experience. That's you just put a tag on it, though. Yeah, right. You know? <laughs> like, hey, I mean, I'll put effort in if you give me money. <laughs> right. Like, you know, I do get a lot of SoundCloud rappers messaging me all the time, <laughs> all the time. But my thing is like, I don't, I don't have anything against artists and rappers and DM stuff for like services, that. Services, guys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have nothing against it. It's just like not really like my brand. Some artists are entrepreneurs, and those are ones that I that I enjoy. But the difference between, to me, and this isn't like attacking artists or musical artists or whatever, is that entrepreneurs are the real life version of artists. Artists are creating lyrics and they're rapping, but they're hiding behind generally a fictitious name. Whereas entrepreneurs, we're putting our reputation out on the line every day, right? There's no Jake superstar or whatever like this is jake allen this is me going out and trying to build in the real world so i have nothing to hide behind right i can't hide behind kanye what or i think that's actually his real name but or, is it it's it i don't even know is kanye west's real name yeah is it but Shout most out kanye. right well, I'll, I'll use what i'm familiar with like calvin harris right so if calvin harris the dj fails massively then he can go be nick whatever his last name is out in the real world. If I'm Jake Allen and I fail massively doing a business, which I have failed massively for two businesses, then that's the something that everyone's going to remember that. And so you kind of have to restart all over again from you have to, you go through your peaks and valleys. Whereas if you're hiding behind a, a stage name, then you can just go off in the real world and be kind of whoever you want in a sense. So that's kind of why I put a little bit, more praise to entrepreneurs because there's nothing to hide behind. That's like the real you sitting out there. Right. So I do get a lot of artists hitting me up 
Um, so I'm very selective when it comes to like musical artists because, because of that reason, because I, I want to see the real you. And so I really do apply to artists who, and this is a growing trend and with athletes too, where they go out and they make a lot of money or success in the music industry or the creative space or the uh, athletic department. And then they go build businesses from that uh, clout that they built or prestige with their name. And that's something that kind of speaks a little bit more to, our, to me. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I think that was a little bit of a tangent, but <laughs> I'm, I'm high as fuck. It's okay. Um, you have a crazy like dating story. Like, what's the worst date you've ever been on? Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't have to be the one that I'm thinking about, <laughs> oh <my laughs> unless god. that was the worst one. I have a lot of failed relationships in my life. That's the fun. That's the funny part. Uh, I was jumps out like you're like, fuck, I could never do that again. I can't I can't believe I was that toxic. Oh, my God. Because if you were a party. No, I was definitely toxic. Now, now being older, I was definitely the toxic person in my relationship. So three out of four relationships I had in college, three of the women ended up breaking up with me. (laughs) I was like this college frat boy. I wanted the animal. Uh the animal house experience. I was going out partying, lived in a fraternity house for three years. So that was kind of different. Um, I just like, I don't know if it was dates really, because I was, I was generally like in college, I was more of a hookup one night stand kind of person um, or flings where it lasts like a few weeks to a few months. We're in college that few months in college, like one semester in college feels like two years you're like you're like you're hooked up with one person the entire semester what is wrong with you <laughs> right like the the, the pie house that was our fraternity house the pie house is filled with women what are you doing jake was just macking yeah i was actually so i was actually a virgin going into college i used to have long hair down to my ass all through all through high school middle what? school yeah i was a little hippie kid i look like joe Derry, honestly you have a picture yeah my nickname my nickname when i played football in high school my nickname was baby jesus it was like the jewish Cut with long hair. <laughs> so so once so I, I cut I cut my long hair going into college and joined a fraternity and then I just went absolutely wild for Did like you go a few like, years. Was it like a one eighty? Like you were good before and then you joined the fraternity? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So I didn't. So I drank in high school, didn't smoke or anything, and then cut my hair, joined a fraternity, and then it was just like never no look back from there. I started raving and experimenting with different drugs and. Do you think at any point you had like an addiction to any of the drugs? Um, I think I think coke is definitely the most slippery slope out of all of them. I think it has the highest reward, but it also has the worst return on it. It lasts like an hour or two hours. You feel amazing. Then you keep doing it. And then all of a sudden it's 10 a.m. and you've spent $7,000 at a strip club and you're like, what the fuck is wrong with me? <laughs> I, I never did coke. Oh. But I mean, I did a lot of Molly, which, or an ecstasy, which had whatever coke plus everything else in it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I experimented with, with all of it. Never touched crack, heroin, or meth, but pretty much all the other drugs I experimented with, mixed we, we with. We the, we, the yeah. triangle. Yeah, the triangle. <laughs> Jedi flipping, Cheers you know, all, all of that stuff. I, was, I, I, I had a... I, I definitely had a dangerous relationship, but I also had a very friendly relationship, especially because I liked... I liked using substances to see how far I could reach the outer boundaries of my own mind and to see if I was comfortable being there. And so, like, I don't know if you've ever done mushrooms or not or the people that are listening, but when 
when you do mushrooms or psychedelics, sometimes you get like stuck in your own mind and some people go through like these bad trips and I've definitely babysit babysat a lot of people on bad trips but i've personally never had a bad trip in my entire life so i'm very comfortable being in these like very unfamiliar territories and it kind of encourages me to do more which then becomes a slippery slope <laughs> within itself right and then you just do ayahuasca yeah <laughs> right so um i i loved it um I haven't done as much recently, especially because I was, I was sober for three years. And that's like a whole fucking crazy story with has to do with the industry and going out and drinking and doing drugs and realizing that this life isn't for me and right. getting well, in trouble. You have to come yeah. to a point of rock bottom at mm -hmm. some point to I, change. That you know? was that was the rock bottom, dude. The, one of the rock bottom moments was getting home from the strip club and realizing I spent seven thousand dollars. And I was like, Fuck. Oh, damn. That was not worth it. <laughs> that was definitely not Jake worth it. tricking on these bitches. Oh, dude, Spearmint Rhino got the best of me. <laughs> so that's when I learned that the private room in Spearmint Rhino was $260 an hour. <laughs> After I was in there for five hours. <laughs> <laughs> Rolling, probably just yeah, like yeah, yeah, chilling yeah. like two hours later. Yeah, well, we'll let sitting in the same spot. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll let the... Uh, listeners use their curiosity to figure out what can happen in a private room for five hours but that's, that's when i realized the uh duplicity of las vegas it can be very beneficial you can leverage all these networks because you get instant access to whoever you want right if you're a bartender or a busser or server at a nightclub you're getting very wealthy people talking to you every second and so if you want to strike a business deal you can do that but then on the contrary if that very wealthy person invites you out four nights in a row and you start engaging in very malicious uh behavior towards yourself then you can also go down the wrong path and so that was like some of my realizing moments that i was like this city is wild this is a straight <laughs> this is such a it's crazy it's that a, you realize that though after 30 something years yeah you know? it's it's such a unique city and that's one of the issues with that vegas has had which i think is changing now from the discussions that i've had is vegas does a very good job at raising capital what i mean by this is you get all the tourists you get 40 million tourists who come here a year between the 40 million they spend billions of dollars right and that's all going to mostly the Las Vegas locals and then some of the corporations. The Las Vegas locals who make that money do a very bad job at pulling that capital off the strip because they go out with their they go out with their customers or they become a gambler or now sports betting and sports betting on their phone or online poker or any of these other activities that have that are high in terms of temptation. We're not doing a good job at that, but it is becoming a little bit better. And that's why I started investing in Bitcoin and crypto, because I was like, I just keep spending all my money on music festivals and going out and partying. I was probably spending 20K a year on partying. I think it's just crazy that, you know, because if I looked at you, like if I met you, I would have been like, okay, this guy has it together. He's been had it together, right? Mm -hmm. And but then when you hear your story, you're like, no, you were a hot mess. Hot and then you messy. changed it. And it's like, People always say that about me, too. They're like, oh, like, you're really calm. And I'm like, or like, they tell me, like, I have great energy or something. And I'm like, yeah, like, if you knew me before, like, you would it would be a whole different person. So I, I feel like it's crazy how people can change mm -hmm. and just, like, grow into, like you said, you weren't financially literate. Like, and now you fucking 
understand crypto it. God. <laughs> crypto God, let's go. Let's go. I'm just here to educate. I want everyone to get rich. Don't miss out on the f- oper- financial opportunity of Invest a lifetime. Now. Invest now. It's generational wealth. It still can be. People have been saying that Bitcoin was too high since it was $3. If you go back on Twitter from 2013 to 2015, people are like, I sold Bitcoin at $30 because it went from $1 to $30. There's no way it could go higher. And now, now it's such a, a larger multiple. But outside of the returns, there's a lot of benefit to self-sovereignty and um, possessing your own money. Um, when do you think we're going to be cashless? What's your prediction? I would say... so. There's many Asian countries that are already cashless. China's completely cashless. Japan is almost completely cashless. Um, and so the Asian countries are definitely jumping on board. Resort World has now adopted a cashless system, which they rolled out on opening day, which which was broken within two hours of opening. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been there. So nice. they, they, they have the intention. They have a crypto system too, which... Again, another long story, but the gaming commission's preventing them and blah, 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 giant circle of uh, old boy clubs preventing things from happening. But they they have the right intention to adopt a cashless society because if Vegas is the international playground of the world, why not adopt the digital playground of the world on top of that? Like, I don't know why nobody sees that. Resort World seems to be the first person. I would say by the end of the decade. We'll see. Well, the U.S. will be 80% cashless because our generation, millennials, will be reaching 40. Cringe, cringe. Don't remind me. Um, many of us will be early 40s to late 30s. So we will be the, the dominant generation in terms of uh, capital accumulation, barring the boomers don't do something shysty, which they've still been doing. Um, by that time, hopefully they're, they're out of office. So I think by the by the end of the decade we'll see a mostly cashless society because of just the the crypto streamline adoption, the digital. They're already creating the digitization of the US dollar, CBDC, central bank digital currency. So it's already underway now. It just in- So should I take Where should I be moving my money that's in the bank? <laughs> like- Bitcoin and ETH. Best Put all two my plays. money in there and then Yeah, okay. hold it, hold it. So I'm like I'm about to take this shit and just take it out because well, we, we, well, we see what well, we see now El Salvador was the first country to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender so if you go down to El Salvador you don't have to pay taxes on anything you can literally buy a Slurpee with Bitcoin and call it a day there's no taxes on wow. it it's legal tender there's almost 10 other Latin countries that have signaled that they're going to do the same thing so it's going to be very prevalent in El Salvador so the goal with crypto, and it always has been, is not to buy it and sell it for dollars. It's to buy and hold to where one house equals one Bitcoin, and you just buy it that way. The U.S. regulations far behind any other country, and so the U.S. might take a little bit longer to catch up, but you bet your ass I'm going to buy a house down in South America within the, within this decade and maybe have a, a residence down there because yeah. they're going to be leading the uh, crypto adoption in terms of nations in a geographical area. It's cheap as fuck. In El Salvador, they said if you go, you could buy beachfront property for three Bitcoin and they will give you dual citizenship there. So you don't have to pay taxes ever. 
So we're going to El Salvador. We're going to El Salvador. It's the murder capital of the world. So I might want to wait a few years. <laughs> uh, yeah, my dad's next door. In yeah. <laughs> yeah, all of those Latin countries want to. So that's why I've always said, like, I probably will never sell my Bitcoin, at least to the point where it's universally adopted. So I don't have to pay taxes and deal with all these different um, communist regimes including tangentially the U.S., uh, but we're getting there. End of the decade, 100%. I would say, no, 80% cashless we're society. We're going to talk again in 2028. <laughs> All right. 2029, we're going to see what, what the stats are. The cashless society. I'm going to be a robot by then. <laughs> we're, humans are already half bionic, if you think about it. Half of your mental capacity lives on your phone. Right. Uh, my my hours when I get that text message every Sunday from Apple from my phone usage, it's around six hours per day, five hours per day. But the relationship that you have with social media needs to be different. Uh, you and I were both producers of social media as well as consumers. So as long as you're spending the majority of that time being a producer to social media and not a consumer, then it's a healthy relationship. But if you're sitting there just scrolling endlessly for six hours a day you're not getting anything done nor is it beneficial to I like society how it breaks down though what you put your time into mm-hmm. <laughs> and that makes you feel better <laughs> <laughs> she's like two and a half hours on food applications <laughs> worth my time <laughs> yeah i brought a derek donuts i brought him pink box donuts oh yes did he eat them on did he eat them on air yeah, he was just chilling though. He was not like about to do a fucking challenge. I, dude, when when him and I and uh, Reina and the owner of El Zarape ate those four pound burritos, it was the first time I met Derek. And when he got there, he's like, "Yeah, I just went and did like this three pound donut challenge right beforehand too." I was like, "Now you're about to eat a four pound burrito? It's like an hour later, you freaking psychopath! What is wrong with you?" And I hadn't ate like all day. I was like, "I gotta prepare myself." Shout uh, out Fat Kid Nation. Yeah, Fat Kid Nation, dude. That guy's crushing it. was just on ESPN. But that's the kind of thing that I mean. I had him on my show, and then he ended up on Nathan's Hot Dog on ESPN uh, six months later. So that's like the type of social investing that I mean. Now that he, he's, his brand's going to continue building, he's just going to continue introducing me to all these different influencers within the food challenge community and so it's just all about networking it's all networking yeah your net worth is your net worth that's not something that i used to believe in but after doing a podcast and living in vegas my entire life it's 100 percent the way that society works as as bad as some people hate to disagree with it the university model is depreciating in value every every year and you can learn everything on YouTube, or I could just sit here and have a conversation with you, and we can both gain a lot from it. The world is changing. Yep. Buy Bitcoin. We, <laughs> <laughs> we got to change with it. Yeah. Just go with the flow. I'm just going to enjoy my days here. It's what you have to do. It, it's weird once you, and may, maybe you feel the same way about this. Once I quit the nightlife, I almost felt guilty that I wasn't working 40 hours a week because we'd been so indoctrinated by it that... Yeah, you, well, you kind of... If you don't put any time into, like, your off time, you're going to be bored. So it's like yeah. you're, ne- you're never bored usually. You're just always going. Yeah, but it's like... So you work 
four or you work four tens or five eight hour shifts generally right if you're renting your time out to make a wage but when you're an entrepreneur i could get all my podcasting stuff done in about 20 hours throughout the week and so it feel i almost feel guilty that i'm not spending 40 hours a week working on the podcast but what's the difference is that i'm flexing my creative muscle to get that done Whereas most people, they just want to go to a job, they want to go through the same motions every day, make a steady income, come home, watch TV, call it a day. Whereas right. us, we're messaging people to come on the show, you're negotiating, you're having this conversation, then you're going through the editing and all these other procedures that have to evolve through just recording a podcast to to producing it. But even then... It From is here to to there to the YouTube to you guys watching you right up there know. right you don't even like know the love I got for there's it. so much process of it. People always ask me like, "What's your what's your least favorite part about the podcast?" And I say everything, everything. that's not the conversation. It's <laughs> <laughs> like the worst part. Any work, yeah. Social media editing, it's all like sucks, it's but it's very time it. intensive, but it's still probably about fifty percent less time intensive than it is working a forty hour week job. So society has everyone so indoctrinated that you must work forty hours to feel successful to live out the American dream, and it's not like that at all. Literally not at all. Well, people tell me like like customers at my job, they'll be like. I tell them, you don't want to die in debt. Like, why would you want to die in debt? You know, because that's how people are like custom. Like, all right, my parents worked multiple jobs all the time. We're still broke. And so that was just how like everyone was, you know, kind of. That was, that was the way of life. That was normal. Like you work until you die, mm-hmm. you know, and then you probably get sick from working so much and then you die. <laughs> that's the way that society wants you to be groomed, whether it's the US government, the CCP of China, or whoever it is. They have to have some sort of, of ordinance for society to function. If everyone was entrepreneurs, we'd probably be super thriving. They want you to work but, one a whole year to wait for one week of vacation. That Yeah, that doesn't, that model never really made sense to me. It's like you work 200 days a week to get 10 days off, five days off. That's like you can never build sustainable income also because of inflation. And this is kind of what crypto opened my eyes to is that the dollar has depreciated 95% since its inception. So those who are renting out their time are actually losing money every year because inflation is one to 2% over the next five years. It could be up to 5% per year. They said last year at 9%. So imagine working 40 hours a week, for the entire year, you're working, what, 2,000 hours? 10% of that you just lost to to inflation because the government decided to print more money. Like, how is that fair? It makes no sense to me at all. So you have to invest in assets and you have to build something where you have equity so that you don't work or so you don't rent your time out to wage slavery and then lose in the end because all of the prices increase, which is nothing under your control, but they want you to believe it, so... That's a whole different political conversation. Do people, when you're in the, uh, what'd you say you did like the, the group things? Like when you're doing the presentations, mm-hmm. are people, are some people just like, when you're done, when you're done talking, are they like, Oh, at the crypto meetups? Yeah. <laughs> are they all like, do the do they all know what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. So I've been blessed that the last two meetups has generally been probably about 80% of crypto community members, whether they're professionals or investors. And the, the inherent difference thing with 
crypto compared to equities is that all crypto users are also investors, but in equities, not all investors are users, right? So the 2 billion people who use Facebook, it doesn't have 2 billion shareholders, but in crypto, everyone who's transacting in Bitcoin or Ethereum has to own the asset. So it's a different type of investment because they're also, they have skin in the game. They're emotionally invested, they're socially invested, and they're also financially invested. So when we when I go out and have those those meetups, it feels very freeing because crypto is very libertarian and conservative by nature. They want less government, they want or no government at all. So it's the complete opposite of the left, although people do believe in, in social values, social programs, stuff like that, which I believe in. I would rather ha- I would rather much rather have as least amount of government as possible because it's all about freedom and self-sovereignty at the end of the day. So everyone there has a very contrarian tank because in order to get in crypto, at least in the early days, you have to go against the grain. You have to go against the herd. I remember walking around Omni in 2017 telling, telling every single person there, you need to buy Bitcoin. This is the future. It'll pull you out of this job. Even tell my managers at Omnia, you guys need to start accepting Bitcoin immediately. There's so much money in the system. You pe- people are here already spending ten thousand dollars regularly. Why not just take their crypto? Like it made no sense to me. Only one buser out of seventy, or you could even say more, out of two hundred employees, one person invested. Um, he also did buy the top at twenty thousand, but he held through. <laughs> nice in twenty seventeen. So you you had to be contrarian. So a lot of people who find themselves in the industry are very contrarian and have very strong opinions to whatever is being presented. So it's actually one I could propose one topic or one question, and that conversation can happen can last for thirty minutes because everyone wants to have their voice heard. Because right. that's basically what crypto is. It's kind of you're betting against the U.S. dollar. It's basically like a hedge against uh, corruption within the U.S. Do government financial on the system. It's only depreciating. So what do you got upcoming now? We got, you have new content you want to shout out or? Yeah. So my show, the guest list podcast, you can find me on social media, our YouTube at Jake Gallen, J-A-K-E-G-A-L-L-E-N, two episodes per week. I have more presentations coming up within the next few months, a few different speaking gigs at conventions, even in a UNLV classroom I have one on, which is about power dynamics in the industry. Um, so like I said, you never know who can interpret you in what way. I've people I've I've spe- I've done speeches for crypto and podcasting and entrepreneurship. Now I'm doing it for power dynamics on the strip, more crypto things. Um, the crypto meetup is the last Tuesday of every month in Vegas. So if you live out here in Vegas and are interested in crypto, then you need to come. You can find developers, professionals, investors, enthusiasts, educators, whatever the whole nine yard is. Look out for Native, which is my crypto company with Chris Devitt. Shout out to Chris, my business partner. Um, We are literally one of the only crypto companies in Las Vegas who is focusing on education, but also building partnerships within legislation and the educational sector of Las Vegas to try to accelerate crypto adoption out here. So just follow me on social. I talk about crypto all the time on Twitter. And then my, my Instagram is catered a little bit more towards 
podcasting and entrepreneurship for your uh, little inspiration. If you, if you need some inspiration <laughs> of some sort, don't come don't come to Twitter for inspiration. I'm not going to give you inspiration, <laughs> but I will give you that on on Instagram. So, what else can happen through the rest of the year? Honestly, I have no idea. I have tentative plans, but so many people have hit me up recently and very successful people in the industry or in the Las Vegas who want to connect me to higher level individuals in the city. So I'm just living, I'm just living day by day. Hey, I can only set tentative enjoy plans, enjoying the ride. And honestly, I was just having this conversation the other day of waking up and being an entrepreneur now that it's been almost three months since I've quit Omnia. This feels three natural. Months. Three So April. So what are we in now? July. So almost four months. Yeah. So April is when I quit Omnia for sure. But it had been a year since everything closed. But officially my quit oh, date gotcha. was, was April 2021. Okay. But this is now not on the unemployment or anything like that. This is like me out in the wild living. Right. Surviving. It feels more natural just being your own boss. Like we put these like walls up of like oh my god if i take this leap of faith my world's gonna end how am i gonna pay my bills but humans are humans are innovative every time i whether i'm low on cash or need to figure out who my next guest is or whatever the next project is always finds its way at the end of the day so i'm just really enjoying waking up and not knowing what the day may bring because of a rando who may message me on Instagram or coming on to Faded Truth and having someone message me from that or a relationship that we build. And it's just beautiful, beautiful to be. Uh, and I'm very grateful to be in this position, but I highly recommend everyone to do it or at least start getting yourself on par to tap into the creative economy, whether you want to be a social media influencer or try to hop on whatever the next TikTok is or just building your brand because as society progresses and becomes more digitized and the and we have less in-person conversations your social media presence or your your internet presence is going to precede your physical presence like so much more so you have to get yourself out there you need to promote yourself don't be afraid to take the risk even if no one is listening, like, okay, so what? You know, at the worst, if I start a podcast and nobody's listening, then I'm still improving my conversational skills, right? I'm still making a, a connection with Angela I Martinez. Just, yeah, I feel like anyone that does anything like in the creative space, it's like you're doing something different because everyone's, most everyone is kind of designed to do the same thing, you know? Exactly. It's the easiest so, way to separate yourself from the I herd. kind of give everyone credit to a degree. Like, oh, shit, you know, you really did that for support, yourself. Support your local social media influencers. Do it for yourself. It's it's very heartbreaking at times when you get no downloads. I hate that name, though, social media, like an influencer. An influencer, <laughs> yeah. It's very pretentious to say that you're influencing. Technically, but you te are. Yeah, you are in a good way. I Like I said, I like to call myself a, a social investor. That's kind of how I see oh. it. I'm investing social capital into, into those who in, invest fucking... into me. YouTube is tough. <laughs> I know because I've been appealing all these videos, so they've been approving and then denying some. Yeah, it's that's weird. The ones they choose though to like decentralized social media is the future. It'll happen within the next few few months, or not few months, few years. 
So look out for that. I will completely migrate everything that I have over to, to centralized social media once that happens. Um, I'm excited for our journeys. Like, I think it's so cool that we started around the same time and we're like on the same path and I mean, complete different like dynamics, but like, it's, it's great to know somebody out here that's doing it. That's so present. You know what I mean? That's that's what podcasting is. Social media, you have to be present in this moment. You have to be aware of what's happening and it's beautiful. now with our generation, with social media, it encourages collaboration over, hyper competitive competition whereas like 30 years ago all the storefronts were all competing for their customers money now we're competing for attention so if you if you put me and you on this podcast we command my audience we command your audience and then that amplifies into the youtube algorithm or whatever algorithm so then we get others that are just looking on the outliers as well it's a beautiful dynamic, but I'm glad that we can be friends and encourage each other and not be like, this is my territory. No, you can't speak anywhere. <laughs> no, I love it. It's beautiful. So the only thing to do is just continue these conversations, which is what I do on my show. I bring on guests multiple times. Like if it's a good conversation, people You'll are probably interested. see us in a food challenge. Yeah. With Heavy D at one point. You guys should comment below what food challenge you'd like to see Angela do. Yeah. Well, no, not you don't have an option really. <laughs> I'm gonna do pizza. <laughs> <laughs> no, really comment plain. below. Let Just me plain. know. Let me know what you would like to see here. I, I've done a four pound burrito and I did a spicy challenge. She was not down for either. Nope. So maybe we can do some donuts or some sweet competition. Yeah. She's she she thinks she could take down a pizza. If you think she could take down a pizza Type in how many inches. <laughs> He's such a fucking douche. <laughs> His frat boy came out just now. Uh, it pops up. It pops up. <laughs> Still on the low. Can you do a drop for me? Like, hey, this is Jake Gallon from the Guest List Pod. You're sitting here on Faded Truth. Make sure you subscribe. What is this, Disney? <laughs> This is Jake Allen over at the Guestless Podcast. You're listening to Faded Truth Podcast with Angela Martinez. Make sure that you like, comment, subscribe, hit that notification bell so that anytime Angela posts some content, you are the first one to see it. And you can be the first commenter and be her biggest fan. Maybe she'll show you some love too. That was like a better call to action than I have on my own show. (laughs) (laughs) I'll send it to you. (laughs) Well, thanks for being here. Did you have a good time? I had a blast. Did you get uh, contact? Did I get contact high? Yeah. You know, it's possible. It's possible. (laughs) It's possible. I feel a little bit more aware. A little bit more. It could be also the drink, too. Shout out to your tequila. (laughs) Shout out to tequila. It's never done me wrong. Just kidding. It's done me wrong way too many times. (laughs) All right, well. I was a big tequila person for a long time. And is that weed sitting down on your ground over there? What was that in the bags? I keep, like, staring at it. It's um, lights that I wanted to put around the thing. Lights? Yeah. What is that? Lights. Oh, lights. Yeah. Did you say lights? Lights. I was like, what is a late? (laughs) Lights. They're, like, neon, like, colored lights. Neon lights, yeah. Yeah, but I didn't... I don't know if I can have Trying it. to tap into that neon desert model. I was trying to add some flair. Yeah, it's going to be a rave in here. I'm just going <laughs> to give everyone a theme when song. When I was little, I had like a whole room that was like a rave. 
Like, Did you? Yeah, because I was by myself mostly. So I had like the beads and like a strobe light. And like we were like partying early. What's your kind of, what's your favorite electronic music? I don't, I don't really do electronic anymore. No. So you had a rave room and you're listening to hip hop? Yeah. When I was okay. little, 100%. I see you. I, yeah. see you. <laughs> I, I, I got into uh, like house music when I did like in my Molly years. But other than that, I, I couldn't like do it for a long time. She's like, I need words. Right. I'm like, I need like a different beat or something. Like, I, don't know, I like a lot of music. But house, I feel like I can only listen to for so long unless I'm rolling. And I don't roll anymore. So. <laughs> so in a while, I rolled at Elenium at Allegiant Stadium, that first concert. Mm. Boy, it was lit. That was the first time in like four years. Made me realize why Molly was awesome, but also the next day made me realize why I hated it. <laughs> well, I feel like the Molly come down was easier. Molly's e- come down is easier than ecstasy for sure. <laughs> Everyone take five uh, HVP. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. I got some Take of my friends. Take all natural supplements to put happiness HCP, into your brain. 5-HCP, yeah. Happiness into your brain. <laughs> uh, the 5-HCP price has gone up dramatically. I remember when I first started raving, my first rave was 2012. We'd buy 5-HCP, a bottle, for like six bucks. I went to go buy it the other day. It was $28. What the fuck? I was fuck? like, what the fuck? You guys figured out where all the money was. They're like, they're getting smarter. We, we got to make it It's how I know money. that. How I know there's a bunch of things in town is when I go to buy five HTTP and they're sold out. I'm like, oh, there's a bunch of raves in town right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Well, we gonna we're just grinding and shining over here, glowing and growing. Glowing and growing. That's the best way to say it. I feel like I like to say dreaming and scheming. Nice. I like that one. Huh. I'm gonna use both of them now. <laughs> I'm gonna be like glowing and dreaming. Fuck, that dreaming was the wrong way. Scheming. <laughs> All right, until next time. Peace. Deuces.